Hey, everybody. This is Chris Cosentino, and I am here with Yuri Huswald, and we are going to talk a little bit today on cycling, life, uh, why we like to suffer, why he likes to suffer more than anybody I think I've ever met, and, uh, you know, the bigger picture. So, Yuri, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. Oh, thanks, man. I'm super stoked to be here. Rarefied company, obviously. Oh, come on. <clears throat> this morning's ride was like Bluebird Day, gorgeous. Yeah, Bluebird, Emerald Green, Shag Carpet out there of Sonoma County, uh, Moore Creek, right, to Hennessy Reservoir. Yeah. Uh, not too many people ride out there. Um, a new trail that Curtis English showed us. So, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Super fun. So, just to kind of give people like a bit of background, I mean, you and I have known each other on and off the bike for almost 20 probably close to 20 yeah so um and as of recent well i mean you've been doing the big stuff for a while right <laughs> let's and to clarify the big stuff in my mind um you won dirty kanza correct and which year was that again 2015 okay which for folks out there who don't know what dirty kanza is it's 200 miles in the middle of Kansas on gravel, gnarly roads. I think the year you raced was a mud bog, if I'm correct. Muddiest conditions the race has ever had in its history, for sure. A lot of walking, running, cursing. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of you know, to kind of tie back to the past, 24 hours kind of gave you that. The 24-hour racing gave yeah. you that. So yeah. And then just this past year, you did something that, um, I think you entitled it the big dummy, right? Isn't that what you called it before you went and did it? Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I did the DK XL, uh, which was 350 miles, completely self-supported of Flint Hills gravel roads. And I was part of a crew of 34 folks, um, who were brave, dumb, I don't know, adventurous enough to, um, heed the call. And we were the test dummies of sorts for this new event, which will in, in 2019, uh, that you're the first to hear this, there's going to be near a hundred folks who are doing the XL. <laughs> I uh, will not be one of them. That is top secret info, but it's going to get out soon. But yeah, there's going to be near a hundred folks who do that. That's, I mean, to me, that's just absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah. so to, let's kind of go back and I want to sure. kind of start at the beginning. So yeah. You and I met at Angwin racing single speeds. Yep. Back in the day. And yep. it's kind of like what was my first foray into mountain bike racing into in Northern California. And I showed up at Angwin and it was you and Glenn Fant and who else was on that crew? There was uh Oh, I don't know. Um <clears throat> there was a short dude who never buckled his helmet, who always just... That might have been like Pee Wee or somebody that was like Pee-wee. that. Yeah, that was Pee-wee, what you guys uh, called him. Really loud, short, loud dude. <laughs> short, loud Pee-wee. dude. Super cool. Yeah. yeah. Cat. And then... Um, Maybe Bill Durkee. I don't know. There was there was a whole a whole. The crew single speed crew yeah. then was... Yeah. It was rippers. Yeah, super fun. It was like a super crazy time. And I remember showing up and like you guys were a band like you guys were a squad and you guys would like rough me up hard uh, God, i don't have the same memories dude, but, uh. but it it was it was such an interesting time because that's when single speeding was blossoming and really yeah. booming and and i found that 
you know, well, it also had come from a renegade background too. You'd had yeah. the orange jumpsuit crew who were jumping in with pie plate, you know, paper plate numbers and at sea, at sea otter and poaching stuff and kind of giving like this renegade feel to the single speeders. But I also feel like bringing legitimacy and proving that, you know, we could be really fast too. And helped you know probably legitimize the category um when it wasn't being you know bandited like they did not that there's anything wrong with that so that <laughs> was then, just a little side note so you went from racing single speeds as you know we all did but then you started doing 24 hours yeah i also did geared i uh you know i was racing geared cross-country um stuff uh started in the sport category i was you know i didn't pick up a bike until i was 24 I played lacrosse in high school and college, so I wasn't a cyclist until later in life, which is probably a good thing. And then fell in love with racing and started in the sport category and stumbled my way through it, raced single speeds, and then discovered 24-hour racing on a dare from somebody. I mean, to me, that 24-hour racing, well, and specifically, you were racing solo. Correct. Yes. Just like I was. Yep. You know? Yep. And I think that's a game changer. I think you really find out your your metal and who you really are because yeah. it's more about, yeah, it's about equipment and thought process and it's all about getting things. I'd like to uh, attest it to being in the kitchen. It's all about mise en place, getting yourself ready prior, yeah. being structured and organized, having all your stuff laid out yeah. and being ready to rock and roll. Yeah. And you, at that point, it was this when you were a teacher? Yeah, I was a school teacher. So um, right after I graduated from Berkeley in 1993, and I went back east and taught two years at a prep school back there, like uh, this boy's life, kind of coat and tie, brick brick building, um, all boys school. Uh, I'm not Why even proud. I'm not, a, I'm not proud to admit this, but dickhead Donnie Jr. was a student at that school. So that gives you a sense of a little bit um, the, 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 I, not to say that all, a lot of the kids were like that, but I had so many cool kids, but he was a student there when I was there. He was not in my class, but, uh, so, and then I taught elementary school for 11 years while I was working my way through the racing ranks. Um, so I could travel during the summers. I lived out of my car. I followed the Norba circuit and would uh, trade labor with those guys, with Frosty and Naked Man and those dudes, and trade labor for race entries. So I would help them set up and break down, and they would comp all my race entries. And then I would like roll with them to the next venue and do the same thing. So I did that for a couple summers, um, living out of the back of my Subaru. And it was just something I really, I've always been a bit of a nomad, and I just, I really loved, loved it. And um, being a school teacher at that time allowed me to have the freedom during the summers to follow the Norba when the Norba existed. So uh, it was really fun. And then um, and about, you had health insurance. I did have health insurance. I had a good job. You know, I, I could, you know, go travel for a couple months. Um, and then I stepped out of the classroom about eight years ago um, and stepped into the bike industry and haven't looked back since. I mean, you've done and, and now you're with Goo. Yep, I'm the community development and elite athlete manager for Goo. So, I mean, you've... And I've been a Goo athlete for like 13 years. So, I mean, you've been on both sides of the boards now. Yep. So, you've been an athlete racing for Goo. You're now helping the next generation of athletes get where they want to be. Yep. You work with such great, talented people. I mean, so many amazing, inspiring folks. It's humbling the athletes. And I'm getting to meet now that I'm not just dealing with our cyclists i'm dealing with our ultra runners our world champion you know triathletes stuff like that um it's just awe-inspiring the the 
athletic, mental uh, fortitude of, of these folks and the things that they accomplish. It's, it's really fun. I think for a lot of folks, they don't understand what you, you have given up to get where you want to be. And I think that's a, that's something for pretty much all athletes. You give up a lot to get where you want to be. I mean, you give up for perfect example, like something so simple that people take for granted dessert. True. A second portion at dinner. Uh, I'm gonna cop to. I'm gonna cop to the. I'm the guy. I'm an eater. You know. Let's be honest. For those viewers, you know that can't see me because this is a podcast. I'm not your typical cyclist. You know, like I'm like 185 pounds on a good day. I'm like 5'11, but like you know, and I eat. I like to eat. I burn a lot of calories. I like to eat. It it it's it's worked out so far. So let's just break it down. Yuri's a brick shit house. And if I'm in an alley and I'm in a fight, I want Yuri to come around the corner. <laughs> so, but so, yeah. So to your point, I'm, I'm not, you know, like the, but that's the typical build. It has for endurance racing. It's been great. You know, I've got an extra layer of blubber in there that I can tap into. But even in for single fat. speeding, you had the, you had the physique, different, different, more muscles. muscular. Yeah. yeah. You needed yep. that, that power. And, yeah. And I think what you've done and, and I think, and what you're doing now is pushing boundaries. You're not just racing anymore. You're doing adventures. You're riding in really beautiful places, point to point, unsupported, seeing things, sharing your experiences with people. You know, you're writing for Peloton occasionally. Yep. Yep. You're doing a lot of informational stuff and sharing with the public the start, the middle, the ugly, the good, and the wonderful, right? Yeah. And I think that is what's missing. Like we look at, and I'll, I'll use social media as a, as a, as an example. We see people and what do they post? Always the perfect things, but they don't, you, you never see somebody posting how to plunge the toilet today. <laughs> That's life, right? That's yeah. not hard. And I think it's, it's disconnected people from reality. And I think way you write and the way you explain things, and maybe that's, because of your teaching background oh thanks you know you really get to understand how hard it was that day when you guys were riding in oregon and you basically rode in the rain for six hours straight like that's about as much fun as you know walking on broken glass you just don't after a certain point you just become numb yeah but you're sharing those experiences with people and so they realize it's not all roses you have to really be willing to push forward and try and, harder and well yeah and 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 sometimes unfortunately suffer a little bit you know suffering's right? a good feeling yeah suffering can be a good feeling you know as long i kind of you know i'm not like sick or twisted or anything but like as long as you're not like doing like any like lasting damage right or like real physical harm like i think a little bit of suffering in our life a little bit of discomfort is okay and good it it forces us to grow and that's, you know, if you think about it as like a muscle, right? Our muscles, when they're stressed, uh, that's when you, and then you recover, that's when they make the most gains. So you could almost look at, you know, our bodies and dealing with suffering and racing, like the more that we're able to absorb and deal with, like you rest and come back from that. You just like keep in my, the way I've explained it, you just keep sort of redrawing what is physically and mentally possible for you. And that leads into like the DKXL that I did last year, the 350, like and I say this with all humility, physically, I knew I could do it. It was mentally, I wasn't sure I was willing to <clears throat> go that extra 150 miles that I've never really gone before, you know? And that was a place I wasn't sure I wanted to explore. But uh, now that I've done it, like, 
I don't need to do it again, but I know I can, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I know I can do it. You know what I mean? You just, yeah. you, you have a deeper belief in your physical and mental and emotional um, abilities. What, so f- can you explain to people out there, like, you know, you started at what time in the morning? We didn't. We started at 4 p.m. on Friday. Okay, you started in at- scorching Kansas summer heat, humidity like 100%. It was like 94 degrees, which is my Achilles heel because I've had heat stroke a few times. I've been put in the hospital. I have lots of IV bags in me um, because of heat related issues. And so I was, you know, that scared the shit out of me starting in that. So we started at 4 p.m. So and and yeah. so to, to to make sure everybody understands the regular Dirty Kansas, the Dirty Kansas 200 starts at the next day at 6 a.m. in the morning. Okay, so yeah. normally the races start and it's cold in the morning. Yeah, right. And yeah. and people are starting bl- pitch black. You're starting bright as day, hot as hot, hot as yeah, hot sweaty. As all get up. Yep. Okay, and so how does how does this play out for you? I mean, because I was watching. <laughs> I know my. <laughs> My uh, my dot tracker did not work, and it your freaked dot people tracker out. scared the it day- stopped. I know, it scared yeah. the daylights out. Scared of me. a lot of people. Yeah. And I was like, I was on it, like watching. Yeah. I was getting up in the middle of the night oh. and watching and watching. I'm like, oh. where's Yuri? Where's yeah. Yuri? And so for <laughs> folks out there, I mean, you guys all had safety beacons on you, so people would know where you are. It's a Correct. tracker. Yep. And a phone. A f- I could text my wife. My wife was. My wife was, you know, we were connected. I, I can, I mean, I, so I can share like the, the whole, the, the whole story too. like, you know, to get through the heat, dude, I, I had a frozen camelback base layer underneath everything. Um, a hundred liters completely ice block to help me navigate those first like five hours in the heat. That's genius. I've used it before. It saved me. Um, and I know it saved me uh at at dkxl and it's is it was a vest and i ripped it off and threw it away at one at the first aids because it was it it had melted and i drank all the water and i didn't need it anymore but it it had gotten me in you know into a little bit cooler of a time and it, it i totally um think that that is one of the things that helped me you know succeed and i think that that's a perfect example of you learning to adapt to like you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. How do you how do you beat your weakness? And you figured out a really yeah. smart way to do it. Well, yeah, it was helpful that, you know, I've been a camelback athlete for a long time. This is a shameless plug, but I actually helped them develop that vest. They no longer make it anymore, unfortunately. Um I've got one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I have a stash thanks to somebody that works there in my in my garage. Uh but it, yeah, it just shows that, you know, um you can make these little hacks that'll help you whether it's nutrition or with your hydration or whether it's with gear. Like everybody has their own little little hacks that they do um to help them get through and that was something that helped me navigate the heat. So what time did that did that heat dissipate? Was that like eight o'clock, nine o'clock? Yeah. Well, it really didn't go down until we got hit with like a gnarly prairie thunderstorm at like (laughs) two or three in the morning. Um, but it like got tolerable. So it went from like 94 to probably like mid eighties by like nine or 10 o'clock at night, you know, but you still have the humidity, but, uh, there were some amazing fireflies out there too. We don't have fireflies out here. And it was Uh -uh. like this light show that took my mind off of it. But, um, the heat really didn't go down until we had that prairie thunderstorm that, that hit us and and that, that's also to take into account like you're schlepping all your own gear yes so you have to carry you're starting hot 
and it's going to get could get cold. Could get cold. You could get a thunderstorm. You could yep. get hail. Yep, we did. You know, yep. and you have to be prepared. Yeah. So how much like talking about that process, like gearing, like packing your gear yeah. up, like how much do you carry? How much do you like want to schlep? Because weight is huge. It's a huge deal. Yeah. So that's a really good question. I mean, everybody's different with what they carry. Um, a lot of guys in the Midwest don't wear vests. They they carry like extra bottles on their fork legs and stuff like that. I'm not really into that. So uh, I wear a chase vest from Camelback because um, you can still get into your back pockets. Um, and then I had two big bottles and then um, an Ortlieb top two bag that Camelback, I had worked with them to make a custom three liter reservoir that went in there. And then we rigged a little system so it was magnetic on my bars I was so I was able to carry an extra three liters of water on my top tube, which is huge because one of the gaps between aids was a hundred miles or just over a hundred miles. That's a long way. That's a long way. And so I mean you're talking like at least five hours of ride time, you know, and it came at night, which was good. It came during the the hail and thunderstorm, which was brief but intense. Uh so I I limped I limped in with no water after that hundred miles. But uh, you know, so there's all sorts so I was using an Ortlieb top tube uh, bag and then they have a saddle bag and I went with their larger one and I probably overstuffed it um, with too much sports nutrition. I was carrying a lot of single serve sachets of our drink mix, which is high calories. And that's where I was getting most of my calories and then just getting water and ice because we were when you would go through a town, you would hit um, Casey's, which is like their 7-Eleven. And that was your aid station run in get some ice, get water, get whatever you needed. I didn't really buy much solid food. I would, I had gels on me and chews and, and some bars and things like that. So I had a big saddlebag, um, obviously lights. Cause we rode through the night. I had a light setup, exposure lights, uh, a brand out of UK, which was a super slick bomber all in one system that got me through the night. No problem. I had a backup exposure on my helmet and, uh, didn't even ever need to turn it on. Um, so gear wise, and this gets back to like my 24 hour solo days, I think I had my gear pretty, pretty dialed, you know, I probably had three extra tubes, a bunch of CO2s, big boot, mud stick is key to scrape all the mud off your bike. Cause there so was some mud gnarly stick, mud, what, mud stick like, is like a, so a, a painter's stick to stir the paint. That's a mud stick in the Midwest. So you just take a painter's, you know, stick and you keep it on you because you're having to scrape your brakes and wheels and stuff for mud. So mud stick is key. When you come, because you're doing the dirty Kansas this year, you just let the cat out. I right? know, I know, dude. <laughs> you could edit that out. <laughs> I, well, or not. That's what I. That had actually, that actually fucking puts your feet to the fire, bro. Dirty Kansas, Chris Cosentino. One of the things about this podcast is that I'm not editing anything. It's as it goes. <laughs> And to me, I feel like when you start editing things, you, you're hiding something. I've got nothing to hide. You've got nothing to hide. No. And I think everybody that's that's going to be coming on the show, uh, you know, it's just, let's be honest. Let's have fun. Totally. You know, and it's like, yeah. it's a really, really, you know, this is about having a good time and having a conversation and kind of sharing your experiences with the world. Totally. You know? Happy to do it. And I think, you know, so you you have put in all this time and effort and energy to, to get to that monster to get that done and and I think watching it from afar having many panic attacks yeah. with your 
unfortunately, your beacon not working. Not working. And of course, I don't have Vanessa's number, so who am I texting in the middle of the night? I'm texting Terry. Terry. And poor Terry's like, dude, I'm trying to sleep. I'm like, <laughs> is Yuri okay? And then I'm texting Pulford. Yeah, yeah Pulford probably and poor, didn't know either. And yeah. poor Pulford's back, you know, at that. Adam's point. my coach, folks. So, yeah. so he's, he's he's the the coach for Yuri, and who else is he coaching? Tetrick? He probably coaches Ali. I don't know who else, yeah. Uh, he's, he's the coach to a whole slew of chefs, yep. and... You know, Brian Voltaggio is one of them. Jeff, Jeff Mahan. Yeah, Mahan, yeah. The, the, the fastest chef. Fastest in, chef in the world. In the world. Basically, I think. We just gave him that title, but he, he deserves he it. Yeah, he's he is. like rip legs off. <laughs> Super fast. So scary. But like, you know, you start to, I mean, I'm panicking. Like, oh my God, is Yuri, is Yuri yeah. okay? Is Yuri okay? What's going on? What's going on? And then I'm in the restaurant the next day, right? And it's like, you, you're, you're racing, whatever. And I'm just, I keep checking and I'm like, oh God, this beacon isn't moving. <laughs> and then all of a sudden the beacon moved and I was like, okay, maybe he had an incident and it like got slowed down and yeah. it moved like pretty far, but not. And then all the other beacons were like way ahead of you. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope you didn't get heat stroke. I hope you didn't get heat stroke. And then all of a sudden this image comes up on social media and I'm in the middle of like dinner service. It's like, you know, all of a sudden this picture comes up and you are, you took second place. Second place, yeah. I got second. And right. I freaked out. Aww. I like started screaming in the restaurant. Aww. I was like, holy shit, Yuri took second. <laughs> and I like, uh, you know, Tatiana texted me. She's like, oh my God, did you see this? Aww. And it was like, from afar, it's like so rad to watch Aww. you do that because you and I had talked about that for months leading up to it. Yeah. I and to me, that's like, you said you were going to do it. You had, you were, you had some intrepidations about doing for it. For sure. But, You'd already done the 200. I know you can ride yourself into the ground. You have this pain threshold. You have the ability to shut your brain off. There's yep. certain people that do, and there's certain people that don't. Yeah. And you accomplish something that, I mean, people dream about having that opportunity. Oh, and I think thanks. you managed you manage to figure it out. You conquered your demons, and you did that. And I think, you know, you set examples for all these kids now that you're working with, and Vanessa's working with in oh, the... In NICA, which is the, the the high school mountain bike leagues that you're working with, you know, and I think that makes these kids say, hey, look, look what's possible. Yeah. And I think that's that's the goals that, you know, I think we all should have in life, whether it's riding a bike, cooking, whether it's, you know, teaching somebody to, to you know, drive a car, just teach them to be the best, give it, lead by good examples. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you're working with, with Nike now still, right? You're uh, helping out. Sure. I help out or NorCal, my wife's league, um, at the races or, you know, I go and, um, speak to teams, you know, talk about full circle stuff. I went and spoke to the San Rafael team because their coach is a guy I met 20 years ago before he had kids, before he was married and who now has a son who's a freshman <laughs> on the team. And that got him into coaching again. And he's like, will you come, will you come talk to our team? And so I went and talked to his team last week, um, at their spin practice in San Rafael. So it's rad to see things come full circle and it's, it's truly, um, awesome to be able to, you know, hopefully impart some lessons to these kids and show them what's possible if they want to race or if they want to go into the industry or just sort of give them some, some ideas of what they can, can do with their lives. If they, if they want to chase, you know, chase something like what I'm doing. So let's talk a little bit about some of this new things that are coming up. Sure. What What is your take on allowing big teams into 
all these events. Yeah. Let's, I mean, look, it's, I, I, I look at it from the point of when we were racing solo. Yep. And then all of a sudden we started seeing big trucks show up and it like massive support and like Tinker showed up and then Etos started dominating and they had the support of, uh, you know, there was monsters, the monsters came in and not that I discount them as individuals, but I think it, 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 it took away something from those events in a little bit, in a little way. My concern with what's coming up with the change. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm not racing for a living. I don't, you know, I ride for fun. My race is to race myself, right? I'm racing my own dinner demons. But I do see an issue with having a bus show up with an eight-man squad who can go ride the world tour. Yeah. And they're going to show up to DK this year. A few of them will. I don't know if it's going to be an eight-man squad, but it could be a four-man squad. <laughs> four-man squad. A four-man world tour squad equals an eight-man yeah. non-world tour squad. Possibly at least, right? Or a 12-man. And yeah. so you've got that going on. Yeah. And we've got a couple of those happening. And, yeah. and and I think it's... I understand why. I get it. It's diversification. It's branching into a new form of racing. But I feel that it's kind of... That's how gravel racing started, right? And uh, gravel gravel was super grassrootsy. Yeah, that's so what I mean. It's, it's changing it's, now. It's, it's changing, it's evolving. Going to that. It and, came um, from getting yeah. away from the big, the yeah. big, big, and now it's going that direction. And I think that I mean, it happened with twenty four hours. That's how twenty four hours started. Really grassroots, really fun, having a good time, and yeah. then it turned into monster. And you know, I'm sure people are gonna like call me an ass for saying it, but like, look. I should Taylor Finney show up and race Dirty Kanza? Yes, he should. I think he will crush it as a yeah. rider. But I don't foresee him needing a four-man squad to do it. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Like if it was one rider from a team that showed up to do the event, yeah, without assistance, I think that's way cooler. Yeah. I mean, tell, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you know, so it's it's really hard to to, to, to like look in the crystal ball, and know how this is gonna unfold. Y- unfold. But I will say that you know, just in my six years of doing gravel, my first gravel race was in 2013. I've seen it begin to change, and you know, uh, this road, you know, uh, invasion or whatever you want to cr- call it, isn't you know totally new. It's been happening for the last few years. You know, you've seen. Um, you know, they, they get a lot of, uh, shout outs because Vela News called them like the sky of gravel, but the Panaracer team brought a lot of road tactics and skin suits and road pedals and, um, sort of changed the dynamic at the front end of things. And they brought a team, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but, um, so the road, you know, ethos or whatever has slowly been making its way into gravel, in my opinion. Um, I mean, the year I defended my title, I, you know, it was Ted King, um, who, you know, I wouldn't have beat Ted King, no way. Um, but that year, you know, it forced me to raise my game. And I actually, and I say this with all sincerity, it was really cool to know that like Ted King, a pro tour rider was, we were like shoulder to shoulder racing together. And I've said that, I said this to Joe Lindsay at outside too, that, you know, there's no other sport in the world that I'm aware of where you and I could line up next to like a Jens Voigt or somebody and do the same course. So I think it 
on that side, it, it, it el- possibly elevates the but experience. Ted's different. It's different with Ted because Ted's retired yeah. and Ted's not coming with a squad. That's true. That's what and I mean. Like Ted's doing this and he's, it's a whole different thing. He's not, I mean, we're talking so, squads coming. Got it. So then does that mean that the Dirty Kansas polices the Panaracer squad? You know who's been I don't coming, know, dude. right? I don't you know, know, like I'm just throwing out my. I, two no, cents. that's fine, and I'm. I, it's good to have this conversation because it's already being had and it's been written about, and we'll see how it plays out. And who knows if you know the the four man squads or the three man squads that are showing up. I mean, I know a Volo because we sponsor them is going to be having a few riders show up at at DK this year. Um, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I think it raises everyone's game. You know, the promoters now have more eyes on them, so they want to do a good job. The everyday riders get to maybe line up and have an experience with these pro tour folks. No, I love that part of yeah, it. Yeah, so at the end of the day, I think it's it's going to change the dynamic at the front end, dude. So for, like, the top 5% of folks, right, Which or I'll whatever, <laughs> I'm not going to be there again either, right? It's going to change that dynamic for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, so... Aero bars? Not for me. I, don't know. I mean, no. I, I think they're dangerous. Yep, I mean, especially not for me. in a gravel environment. Yeah. To me, you should I... ask Jeff Kabush. <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, you should just that we should get Jeff Kabush on here. He has some I'd really he, I can help that, but he has some distinct thoughts about aero bars and gravel. I mean, there was a whole thing that was covered on Velo News last year about Jeff's uh, view of aero bars and gravel. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. You'll need to talk to Jeff. I, uh, he's yeah. super cool. I yes, got to sir. meet him at the. Uh, yeah. At the ride that was for the the high school yeah. mountain bike event, yeah. so that was super cool being able to yeah. catch, catch up with him and and so events this year. Yeah. Let's talk about what you've got coming yeah. up because I know you've got a lot on your calendar. And yeah, I think you and I are going to be crossing paths, doing a lot of fun events together. Let's hope so. We better be. We've got a lot of a lot of similar support. Yep, which has been great. Yeah. And unfortunately, I can't do the. The Bantam? I can't do oh, the Bantam. Oh, that's a bummer. I, yeah. I'm doing a, a a charity dinner for... That's super important. And for um for the James Beard Foundation to help put some kids through culinary school. Oh, dude, so, super important, yeah. Kids are... All good. That's well, then the next weekend is Campo Velo after, yep. after Bantam. But uh, first up for me is this weekend is uh, the f- new Grasshopper, Low Gap, yep. up out of Ukiah. And then I'll head to Stillwater, Oklahoma in early February for a a cancer fundraising ride with the people who put on Land Run from District Bicycles. Um, One of their friends is dealing with brain cancer. And so um, I decided to forego going to the Rock uh, Cobbler and and heading out to Stillwater to help support that ride. Um, I think the next Grasshopper in February, I forget which one that is. I'll be doing that. Is and that then Stillwater? Maybe. Yeah. yeah I think Super Stillwater still or something yeah. like that. And then I'll be doing a couple camps, one with the USMES. Um, I'll ride a day with the Volo team. I go to Kansas for a camp in April and then it's Sea Otter. Um, so yeah, just busy. I'll be in Iceland in July for I a new, trying to pull that for a new race that's happening with one of my sponsors, Lauf. Um, in June, I do Kanza and then two back-to-back weekends of gravel camp with the Queen of Pain, Rebecca Rush. So awesome. I'll be in Ketchum, which will be rad. And then I'm going to be doing a new, <coughs> the new gravel, um, the Oregon Trail gravel stage race put on You're by Chad Sperry. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I yeah. was so close to wanting you to do that. You should do it. I but uh, it's, it's five big, days. It's a big commitment. 
that's going to go over like a fart in church in my house. <laughs> yeah. So, I've but got, I'm looking uh, forward to that. That one looked really cool. Yes. I was checking that yes. out. And are you doing Steamboat? Yes. I'm doing that. I'm one doing it. Yes. Yeah. Like, and you're going to be staying with us in Kansas because, as I said earlier, you're going to be doing Kansas because I have an entry for you. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. There you go. You're. You're cooking one night for us in exchange oh, yeah. for the entry. So yeah, there we go. That's it's, it's been said. Yeah, you know it's like it's it's so funny. Some Terry's Terry's coming, right? He wants to come out, but he's like, he should he goes? I'm not racing. He goes, I'll stand on the side and give you stuff. Yeah, I'm you need not. a good SAG person he's for like, sure. There's no way in hell. I'm yeah, your that. support is is key. Um, but yeah, we'll do a whole bunch of rides before it and he'll get to ride a bunch out there and experience Kansas. So yeah, busy year. I'll do the Pavlov ride again, cancer fundraising ride in October. Yep. Um, working on something with my wife, with the NorCal league and MCBC in, in September, a little gravel ride. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's awesome. Cause my job literally revolves around bikes and riding bikes and doing industry stuff and working with cool athletes and industry folks and hanging out with, you know, famous people like you. I'm not famous. <laughs> I'm a glorified dishwasher, dude. Get over it. That's what I've heard. <laughs> so let's let's let's. I got a couple. Like I do a bunch of questions that okay. I ask all the time. Yes. So <clears throat> mostly, mostly it's food. Oh well, mine would be probably be pretty simple answers then. Okay, but no, I wouldn't yeah. say that. I mean, you 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 dig it, right? Yeah. So um, I kind of break it down like. Pasta or risotto? Pasta. White truffle, black truffle. Oh, man. I am i don't even know if I'm refined enough to say I know the difference between the two, bro, or if I've had either. So I'm well, just Well, one's gonna, white. And yes, one's I got white. it. I'm sure they both taste great. <laughs> There's a non-answer for you. Um, <laughs> sea urchin or no? Oh, no way. No, no way. No. Mm. Mm-mm. Nuh-uh. No, I'm not like an adventurous like seafood guy. No way. Do you eat sushi? I do, okay. but I'm like pretty limited to what I will try. Really? Oh yeah. I would have never guessed that. Yeah, no, no urchin for this guy. So you, you're born and raised Petaluma. Uh, I was born in LA, but I we moved to Petaluma when I was four, and so I consider Petaluma my home. Yep. You're as NorCal as it gets. I'm bro. as NorCal as it gets for sure. Yep. Definitely. Oh my yeah. god. So. Yes. Pork or beef? Uh, beef. Okay. Yeah, I grew up on a farm and we used to, you know, call a cow, you know, every year that would go in the freezer for the year. So I, I like beef. I grew up on beef. Hmm. Yeah, eat more beef. Comedy, sci-fi? Comedy for sure. <laughs> you never know. Never know, but comedy <laughs> for sure. I mean, I like Star Wars and stuff, but I'd rather laugh, you know? That's... Yeah. So with all this... You spend quite a bit of time not only working with, with, you know, training and educating the younger generation how to ride and be healthy. You work with athletes on their diets and help people get to the next level. But you spend a lot of time on cancer awareness, uh, cancer charities. I mean, how many – you've done Pavlov how many times? Uh, I've done it – five times i think this well four times this this coming year will be my fifth yep and for those that don't know pavlov is a foundation uh pediatric cancer foundation um founded by jeff and joanne um who lost their son pablo at the age of six years old to a form of cancer 
Um, and so the name Pavlov comes from Pavlov's name. And they are granting small seed grants to these sort of maverick doctors that are working on treatments that won't necessarily get the mainstream funding from the typical funding um, system. So the Pavlov is funding these cutting edge uh, approaches and making huge gains. Um, and it's awesome. And uh, I have, you know, like most folks, a connection to cancer. I lost my father 14 years ago to cancer. My wife is a stage four colon cancer survivor. So um, I've had a fair amount of experience with cancer, as you probably have too. Yep. Yep. I think it's uh, it affects everybody. And I yep. think, you know, everybody picks their, it, it, there's always something that somebody puts all their eggs in the basket. You know, it's like, and you've found, you know, what is, means the most to you and you address it every day. Well, it, it, you know, it obviously hits a couple chords with me. I mean, my connection to cancer with my wife and my father riding a bike, something I'm passionate about. And then kids, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the kids. Um, and the year we finished at the hospital in Los Angeles downtown, we finished at the pediatric cancer ward where the kids would get to spend a few hours of their day with their parents outside of their rooms. Um, and it was just like a super like powerful, really sad moment, but also uplifting, like just knowing that we had just pedaled almost 600 miles and had raised, I forget that year, maybe almost $800,000 to try to help these kids have the best possible, um, experience, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it takes a lot to be able to give back. And I think it's learning, you know, how to give back. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, you're setting that example for the next generation of kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cliche, but like the more you give, the more you get back. I mean, I know Rebecca talks about that too, Rebecca Rush, but it really is true. I feel like the more that we can be generous with our time and help and whether it's financial or food or whatever it is, like that'll come back, you know, the whole idea of karma and stuff, I feel like. And I feel like that's sort of what's helped me be where I am right now in my life and with my job and being able to do what I love to do. So are you, so, I mean, let's, we're kind of, we'll veer a little bit. Yeah. Rebecca. Rush. Yes. Rebecca Rush, the queen of pain. Holy cow. Yeah. Amazing woman. Like I remember watching her when she was doing all the eco challenges. Yeah. She was pretty much the glue that held that team together. Let's yeah. just be honest. I mean, not that those dudes were weak by any means, but like she's a monster. Oh yeah. I've never I've never met anybody like her. I have no doubt she was kicking those dudes in the nuts. No doubt. I mean in a she, good way. She is the most positive and firm at the same time person. Yeah. She calls it like she sees it. Yeah. She wants it to be right, but at the same time she's gonna push you to the limits. Yeah, for sure. And I totally have the utmost respect and i mean you do uh the the gravel camps with her yep yeah you guys are both riding on niner together correct and i think that there's so much interesting crossover between the 24 to the ultra stuff i mean you guys are doing a lot of the similar big monster events yeah, it's it's uh, been a really cool evolution or maturation or whatever you want to call it of um, our relationship, you know, as uh, competitors, as friends, as sponsor and athlete, also as athletes. We have a lot of 
you know, overlap. And um, I love to share the story that it was really, it was like a cup of soup um, at a race that cemented our friendship. Like I obviously knew who Reba was, but I was doing a, um, a race in Tennessee, um, a 12 hour race called, I'm, uh, I forget what it was, but um, I got heat stroke <clears throat> and had just puked my guts out and it was pre getting fluids. Um, she brought over a cup of soup cause we were pitted next to each other. And that's sort of what kicked off our friendship. We had known of each other before that, but, um, anyway, she's just really generous with her time and her knowledge and she's super inspiring. And so it's, it's fun getting to work with her, um, race with her, ride with her, support her camps. So, yeah, I mean, this year, I mean, we both just did this past, this past year her, in September, yep, the RPI stage we race. just did RPI stage rates, which yep. talk about an incredible event. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Sign uh, up if you haven't, folks. Go do the Rebecca's Private Idaho stage race. Three days of riding out of Ketchum. Like it's all based out of there. It's 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 a great weekend. Totally different than any type of event I've ever done. And yeah. I loved the the fun element of it. Um, you know, each day, I mean, day one alone was just racing. It was kind of like what we did today, that yeah, single track yeah, yeah. riding. Yeah, Galena Lodge, yeah. Oh, single track on your gravel bike, super fun creek crossing, stuff like that. Yeah, it's it was really funny to see a lot of the roadies try to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's just one aspect of Rebecca's, you know, future career. You know, she's also an author and she had Blood Road and she coaches and she still races and she's a Red Bull athlete. I mean, she's got she brings so much to the table. So it's been really fun um, working with her and being friends with her because, you know, I'm also her uh, sponsor, too. You know, ah, so, yes, that's right. From Goo. From Goo. Yeah. But we also share a lot of sponsors and do things together. So there's just a lot of synergy there for sure. That makes it a lot more fun. It does. You know, and that's I think that's what the best part is, is like when you get to do things with your friends. Yeah. And have fun. And have fun. has to be fun. There's got to be certain buckets that are ticked off, right? Yep. You can't always just do the same. You yeah. can't just be, oh, yeah, we're going to do it to do it. Yeah. Um, are there people that inspire you every day, like in, in whether it be cycling or artist or a writer? Yeah, there's I have I mean, I gather lots of bits of inspiration from different threads, I think, of my life, you know, like now that I'm dealing with all of our elite athletes, you know, spending time with with folks like, you know, Rob Carr and Jeff Browning. These are ultra runners that the, the top of their game um, working with like Marinda Carfrey and, and spending time with them. They inspire me sort of like on the athletic, like push your mental limit side. Um, you know, as far as like reading lately, I just finished uh, Alex Hutchinson's Endure, um, which is about sort of the the human limits. Um, and maybe that the, you know, that the brain is sort of the final barrier that's limiting, you know, like your, your full physical capabilities. And this whole idea of believing in yourself, that's something I've been sort of preaching lately. Um, I gather inspiration from my wife, you know, because of what she's had to go through and the positive attitude that she brings to life. And um, for those know. of you who have not met Vanessa, she's fucking rad. <laughs> she's so yeah. rad. Like yeah. I've been I've been at an event suffering beyond all human recognition. And all of a sudden I hear Vanessa's voice yelling mm -hmm. at me. Yeah. Go, chef. Yeah. I'm like, where the hell did yeah. that come from? Yeah. <laughs> In the middle of the woods, out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. And I'm like, how did you get out there? And she's smiling on the side yeah. with her bike. She rode out there to cheer everybody on. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's a perfect example of Vanessa. Yeah. She brings a lot of uh, energy and just brightness and joy and happiness and zest for life to every situation. So that's super inspiring. Um, You know, I've also had the, the, awesome opportunity to work with a lot of you know like female high-powered athletes which are super inspiring too you know especially in like this whole me too weirdness that we're in right now um it's not weirdness it's just a very basic thing it's called keep your hands to yourself exactly keep your hands to yourself but like you know it's not um, hard to be a nice human yeah treat people with respect i don't care what color race creed who you choose to sleep with whatever just be kind yeah just be kind it's not hard yeah where did, where did that get lost? I have I have no idea. There's I a show no called idea. Yo Gabba Gabba. They actually sing a song about it. Oh, really? Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. That's literally the name of the song. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, some things have been lost definitely in this day and age, unfortunately. But um, yeah, those are some of the some of the different strands that I draw inspiration from, like kids that I work with, you know. I mean, um, there's just lots of different different areas that I, I get inspired from. I like to have fun if I can help it, you know, and, and make sure that others have fun and, um, yeah. It's gotta be fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, it's hard. Life's hard. There's nothing to really, I mean, could everybody complain every day? Could. We all could. But to be honest, we're all really lucky. Yeah. I keep saying that to myself. You know, the day where I think it's really hard, I get up in the morning and like, it's going to be really rough today. It's not that rough. Yeah. It's not that bad. Nobody wants to hear us complain. Yeah. You know, we're lucky. Yeah, we are. You know, we work hard. We choose to make the decisions we've made, put us where we are. And we've made those with a smile on our face. And I think we made those, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, to where we are now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel super blessed to be in my position because I have a really unique job. Um, Most folks think I don't have a job because I spend you know, a lot of time on my bike, but that's actually part of my job. That is your, that's a big part of your job. It's a big part of my job. Um, but I don't fall into the typical silo of your standard corporate job descriptions or being behind a desk and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't know what to attribute that to. Some of it is, is just dumb luck, but you know, some of it is timing. Some of it is being kind, being a good person, following through on what you say you're going to do. I mean, just some of the simple, basic, things i think like please and thank you like please and thank you yeah you know um so yeah it's it's awesome i'm stoked and i don't plan on slowing down for a while i have some extended uh sponsor you know obligations which is great into 2020 so it's all good man that's the way i mean yeah it's all it's all got to be fun yeah you know we get to ride our bikes we get to make people smile you know, you're helping people. I mean, that's what it's all about. And, and you're like, helping people too, though. Like food, you're nourishing folks in multiple ways and you do all these other charity things. So yeah, it's it's good. You know, like we said earlier, the more you give, the more you get eventually. I think that's, I think, you know, that is a very true thing. And But what I think people don't realize when you say that, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm hoping people do understand what you really mean when you say that. Yeah. When you're giving, you're getting something and it's not monetary. Yep, exactly. And I hope people learn and think about it in that way. You know, I choose to do things because it makes me feel good. And sometimes that's what you need to get over the hump in life. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I've made decisions to to do things that are harder because I know it's going to give back and it's better for the environment or it's a better choice for 
the the business. Yeah. That's hard on me, but it's better for everything else going on around it. We make those good decisions to make yourself feel better. Yeah. You have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, yeah. okay, I'm cool with that decision. Yeah. I'm cool with what I'm doing. Yeah. If you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and you go, ugh, you've made some bad decisions. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. You know? So. Yeah. Well, look, I know you've got to go to the dentist. I do. I'm going to see the uh, the fastest dentist west of the Mississippi, Roger Bartels, longtime <laughs> friend. Oh, my God. He is. He, he is. He is. He you is. are hysterical. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Um, so, yeah, he takes care of me. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a dork. <laughs> Plugging your dentist. Hey, why not? <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to give you a free cleaning. <laughs> You're going to come out with yellow teeth now. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being here with me. I appreciate yes. it. Let's, uh, hey, by the way, we both have matching green vans on. Yes. Tennessee. Pretty rad. Yeah. Um, let's do some more rides. For sure. And uh, keep the rubber side down. Cam- yeah. Campo Velo, folks. If you haven't signed up, come do Campo Velo. Campo Velo will be last in weekend of April. April. Super fun. Three days. We will have the little five coming back again. Oh, yeah. Little five. So we're going to be at the Calistoga Speedway, which is a dirt track. You get a one-speed flat pedal bike, just like in the movie Breaking Away. You have a four-man team. You do have to do the proper dismount and remount within the space space, allotted. There was a lot of carnage in that zone oh last year, dude. Amazing. Uh, the video yeah. is coming out. Yeah, I've seen a couple week. little snippets, but there's some good carnage oh, in the transition. The transition is epic, yeah. but it is a quarter mile lap, and you are full. It gas. hurts. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts hard. Yeah. Like everybody was dying on that yeah, one. I don't care how good you think you are, how strong you are, and then we all got crushed by a bunch of high school kids. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. That was hashtag well, truth. Yep. Oh, it was so embarrassing. And they were yeah, wearing Hawaiian like, shirts. Hawaiian yeah. shirts, motorcycle helmets, yeah. full face helmets. That's the best. I uh, it was pretty demoralizing, but pretty rad to show you like yeah. what is coming, like what yeah. the next generation is bringing. Yeah, totally. Super fun. So, you guys, hopefully, we'll see uh, a bunch of you there with us. Uh, Yuri's going to be leading a ride. We've got uh, a bunch of other fun stuff happening. But you want to give a shout out to any of your sponsors, Yuri, while you're on the horn? Uh, man, you just put me on the spot. I but, know I did. Uh, if you can't remember, you, yeah, you do no, have a shirt I'm, on that says one of them. It says Niner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I would just, you know, give a general shout out to all my sponsors for, thank, for, you know, letting me do what I do and supporting me for all the, these years. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens this season. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Yuri, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy man. And uh, thanks for a great ride this morning. Thanks, Chris. It was an honor. Cheers. Cheers.